0: We begin with breaking news right now at nine. A seven-year-old girl is dead tonight after being shot six times at a McDonald's drive through in Lawndale.
1: When Jaslyn Adams was killed, a lot of the attention turned to her father. Jocelyn's dad, John Tay Adams, was the target. Police have said he may have been the target. Many in the city blamed him for his daughter's death, said he should have known better. The 29-year-old father has a long criminal history. The car's driver had threatened the child's father before. The blame is something Jonte Adams struggles with. It started innocently enough. Jante was trying to be a good dad, give his daughter some joy.
2: My daughter texted me once she wanted McDonald's.
1: So he picked up his 7-year-old daughter, Jaslyn, who everyone called Pinky, from Jaslyn's aunt's house.
2: Says me and my daughter, like, so we, you know, we get in the car. And her brother's birthday was coming up. So she was helping me plan her brother's birthday and stuff, and she was just telling me like everything that we need to do, her friends who she wanted to come. And that's when we pulled in um McDonald's. In the drive through lane, Jonte noticed something that gave him a bad feeling. By the time we got to the uh, speaker thing, I seen the car come through the um through the exit. Jonte had spent years in a gang on
1: hyper alert for danger. And the way the car came in the exit of the parking lot and then came up behind him in the drive through line, it just seemed off.
2: And, like, by me being active and involved in the streets, I, like, you know, certain signs I know, like, oh, this ain't good.
1: Jonte saw the driver's face, and he saw there were two other men in the car with him.
2: The car they was in, they poured it all the way to the back of my car.
1: He couldn't back up, and on each side of his car were tall curbs
2: for the drive through lanes. The car that was in front of me was ordering. This thing like they was ordering for so long. It was a black car in front of me. And it's like, I can't pull a fool because I'm going to crash to them.
1: Jontay was trapped with his daughter beside him. Then he saw one of the guys get out of the car behind him, holding a big rifle.
2: When I seen them get out with an assault rifle, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, this, this, that. The
1: guys in the car opened fire. Jontay hit the gas to hop over the drive through curb to get away but he crashed into a pole.
2: They were shooting from the back, and one of the bullets from the back came and hit me directly in the span. My daughter's in the passenger seat. She was saying, Daddy. Like, that's how I knew. Like, when I got shot, it was coming from, at first it was a, a daddy. You hear these gunshots? And then it was, she seen me get shot, and it was like a daddy. Like, and I'm like, you know, like, I'm trying to, like, play with my steering wheel and stuff like that, and, but I know, like, man, I'm hitting, now I kind of go into a panic because I got my daughter. And then they continued to shoot. And as they obliterated the car, then they shot my baby. Like, she probably said, "Daddy," like, three times. And when I looked, she was just, like, laying down. And, but she was already gone. Sometimes I wish I was with my daughter. You know, sometimes it hurts to be here. Jaslyn's
1: killing affected a lot of the anti-violence workers on the West Side. The guys who work in East Garfield Park responded to the shooting right after it happened. Like Jaslyn's dad, most of those workers had been in gangs. They know the dangers children face every day. It's one of the things that motivates their work. The path leading to Jaslyn's murder, it started when her dad Jante was just 11. That's when he started to feel himself being pushed out into the streets by the people who were supposed to look out for him. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Patrick Smith, along with Ceci Mannion. And this is Motive.
3: To intervene before it's too late, these interrupters. Turn down the temperature.
0: Halt the cycle of retaliation. I'm like, man, I can make a difference. And I'm beginning to feel like, am I really making a difference? You could go either way easily. because the streets here with open arms no matter what.
2: There's no life for me around here no more. I'm scared I'm going to get killed. And this time they're going to shoot me in my head.
1: Episode 4, Getting In and Getting Out. Sassy, do you remember when Jaslyn Adams was killed? Yes, I was actually in the office. What do you remember about it?
3: Just that there was uh, somebody drove up and lit up into the car, shot into the car.
1: The reason we're talking about her in in this episode is not because her killing is unique because unfortunately, you know, it's not like every day, but we get – children get shot in Chicago. Children die in Chicago because of the violence. But really her shooting, it sort of stands as an example. It does happen so often. It's sort of this example of one of the byproducts of all the gun violence we have here. As I was in East Garfield Park with the outreach workers there – This shooting, the Jaslyn Adams killing, just kept coming up. I would ask sort of, what's your worst moment? I know it's a really rude question, but I would ask people, what's your worst moment in this job? And they would bring that up when that little girl got killed at McDonald's. We were in the office one day and Fats and his supervisor, Vernell, they had this disagreement about whether Jonte Adams, who's Jaslyn's dad,
0: whether or not he should be blamed for his daughter's killing. I'm from the streets. I know the game. I know – I would never put my kid in the car with me, knowing if I've been into it with somebody, or just me being in the streets. Period. You know, it's like you would think he would know better, but he was a father. He loved his kids, and the little girl wanted to go to McDonald's, so he had to be a father and take his kid to McDonald's. So, so my, mind was kind of. I was angry about that whole situation because I was disturbed about the fact that why would you have your daughter in your car with you when you know you're into it with somebody? You know what I'm saying? That hurted me, man, that he would be this naive to put his child in the car when you know somebody at you and you at somebody. I don't think it's his fault.
3: You ain't expecting anybody to drive up on you like that.
1: You, you have been both a gang member and a mother before at the same time, right? Yes. How did you think about your children's safety? I didn't think. You didn't? You don't think. But as you get older,
3: I could have put my kids in situations. I could have lost one of my kids. And whose fault would it have been? My own. For putting my kid in that situation. My kids were with me. The cars with me. As I was out there on the block sometimes. I was stupid. Very, very stupid. I'm just blessed that nothing happened to my kids.
1: So I know you said you don't blame Jante. No. Jasmine's dad. But a lot of people did. It could have happened anywhere, though. It could have happened
3: anywhere. I mean, so does that mean because he's into it with somebody, he can't come outside the house? He got to stay in his house? I
1: mean, mm-hmm. that's what Vernell is saying, basically. I mean, a lot of people were blaming Jante. Like, he knew people were out-, out to get him. And people like Vernell, they said
0: he should have known the risks.
3: Everybody knows the risk, but does that mean you got to be locked up in your house?
1: Well, And that's basically what Fat said.
0: And it's like, okay, just because I'm coming from the streets, I can't take my daughter to McDonald's to feed her. You know what I mean? And if I'm not there, it's like, oh, it's a deadbeat dad. Or if she was outside playing and got killed, like, where was the parents at? Why was she out? It, it hurt me more that the father, he was just trying to be a father at this moment.
1: You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. As a gang member, Jontay knew he had enemies. But after his daughter was murdered, he wanted to stop the cycle of violence. That turned even his own friends against him. It's a symbol of Chicago's unrelenting culture of violence. The people who are in it are really in it. As Jante himself says, it's almost impossible to see another perspective. That's what Cessy, Fats, and the city's other anti-violence workers are up against. There are so many invisible forces lined up to help perpetuate a cycle that ends childhoods, either through accidental but inevitable deaths, or by pulling kids on the verge of adolescence into gangs. Jonte Adams is in a much better place now than he was in the weeks and months after his daughter's murder. He's been in therapy.
2: It honestly, helped me understand um, how I grew up, things that I missed out. Like, um, a lot of us miss a lot of lessons, like life lessons, conversations about what not to do. Or, you know, I come up in a um, one-parent home. Father was incarcerated and things like that. So my counseling my therapy has really just helped me understand me and what I come from. He's 31 now, tall and lanky with
1: big, curious eyes. He grew up just off Chicago Avenue, a street with a reputation for heroin dealing and violence on the west side.
2: Yeah, it's a real rough area um, due to the fact every the whole Chicago rough. When you really think about it, like standing, like it's like every corner you turn, you in a territory or a, a gang, whether it's West Humboldt Park, Humboldt Park, Little Village, Austin, North Londale. DeJounte
1: was really young when he says he started feeling pressure from his own family to be out in the streets, acting tough and earning money.
2: My father um, ran and hustled on the same block I hustled on. My father got shot on the exact same block I got shot on. So, uh, you know, it's, some things are inherited. Some people inherit the good things, some people inherit the bad things. You know, I inherited something my father was already a part of. I believe around, like, 11, I started feeling pressure. Of when I, That's when I realized, like, man, where my my father at? Like, you know, like, everybody made their best to make sure that I was tough, I was bad. Like, nah. You were going to be the man of the family. Yeah, yeah, like, you're going to be the man of the family. So that probably was the only pressure I felt.
1: With his father in prison, Jonte started paying more attention to the men hustling on the block where he lived.
2: I wasn't out there yet, but I wanted to know. Like, I wanted to know what was going on. And uh, people acknowledged me, like trying to basically give me, like, the streets, like, man, you could come out here, you could do this, you could make all this money, like, you know. So when, when were you first kind of out there? How old were you? I could say probably, like, 15.
1: Jonte says when he was a teenager, the gang life was fun. But then, when he became an adult, the quick trips to juvenile jail turned into real time
2: behind bars. Yeah, I spent all my 20s in jail. So I lost 10 years of my life to being in and out of jail. What, but, were,
1: you, what were you going away for?
2: All uh, drugs, all drugs. Like I always run away for selling drugs.
1: Jonte was actually locked up when Jaslyn was born. He met her in the visiting area at the Cook County Jail, the big jail in Chicago. He says after that first meeting, he went back to his cell and cried. Eventually, he was forced to pull back from the gang after he was shot in the neck and the arm. It was so bad he still can't really use his arm. The injury meant he stopped getting arrested. And was around a lot more for Jazlyn's early years than he had been for her older brother. What was she like? What do you? What What are some of your favorite memories of her?
2: Uh, just being so outspoken. Um, putting me in my place. That's 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 really what I miss. Uh, her putting me in my place. She was the one that made me be a father. I actually learned how to parent through her. I learned how to um develop patience through her. She made me sit with her. You know, like I had to learn through her, like. Daddy, come get me. Pick me up. Do this for me. We got a field trip. I need you here, my graduation. Because around the time she's getting older, I'm not going back and forth to jail anymore. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm actually able to spend time with her. So it was like she was so demanding, and that's what I missed the most. Like, she was in control. Hey. Hey. Hey.
1: Jonte was pulling back from the gang. But he wasn't all the way out. Far from it.
2: You ain't no killer, you a pussy, you gonna run from Fuck that status, fuck the moes. I don't need no validation.
1: He may not have been out on the street hustling and gangbanging much anymore. But he was still making music about it. Dante was a drill rapper by the name of Tilla. Drill first got popular in the early 2010s. Chief Keef is probably its best-known artist. Drill has since spread to other cities and countries. The lyrics revel in relentless, remorseless violence. Music videos almost always feature rappers and their friends holding and pointing guns. Today, Jante laments Drill culture and his role in it, but at the time, his music and music videos put him at the center of a violent rivalry. The last video Jante made, Posted six months before the shooting, shows him mocking a rival gang.
2: I'm not saying that I wasn't running and still making their songs, and I was still out here like fire, like adding fuel fuel to a flame. You no, know, uh, making people mad, things that I was saying, and even like I say, hanging with people, certain people who you know is still moving like in a certain way, still out here gangbanging or doing whatever.
1: It was those songs and videos that put a target on Jante's back, a target he was still wearing the day he took Jazlyn to McDonald's. But Jante says he wasn't thinking about any of that when he was with his daughter.
2: I wasn't looking at it like nobody's going to stop me. Or I wasn't looking at it like, you know, like the other way around, like, like it can't happen. It's just like when I was with her, I was like just so lost. Like I was lost with her. Like it was like when I'm with her, we in my, I'm in my own world. Jonte spent
1: two days in the hospital after the shooting at McDonald's. The day after he got out of the hospital,
2: he went to a vigil for Jaslyn. Daddy. Last words. Daddy. A panicking daddy. I see my daughter face down in my car. Oh. I will never forget the old I want my daughter's killers locked up.
1: The crowd at the vigil released balloons in Jaslyn's memory. Dozens of little prayers sent floating up toward heaven. After the emotional vigil, Jante checked into a hotel in Lombard, a suburb west of Chicago. He got a room on the third floor with two queen beds and a TV mounted on the wall. Mentally, he just couldn't go straight back to his old neighborhood. And he didn't think it was physically safe either. The guys from Jante's block drove the 20 miles out to see him. They were pushing him to respond to the tragedy with righteous
2: vengeance. Franz was asking me, like, OK, look, what are we going to do? This is what we going to do. And they telling me, like, look, we gonna, this is what we going to do. Jonte's friends were saying, it's time to
1: go shoot up the gang that did this. Answer blood with blood.
2: And I'm like, no. Nah. I'm telling them, like, y'all, go be with y'all kids because at the end of the day, I can't I can't have it on my conscience if something happened to y'all, and then y'all get took away from y'all kids because of an angry decision I made about my daughter. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, somebody got to try to stop it, you know. But this was my breaking point, but they didn't understand it. Mm. During the visit, Jante
1: realized his old friends from the block were trying to be supportive. But they didn't know how to help him grieve, or even how to properly grieve themselves. And they weren't listening to him, as he begged them to put the guns down and go be with their kids. They had come to the hotel to send a simple message. Stop talking about the murder in public, and do not cooperate
2: with police. I had did the news uh, thing. And they was upset about that. They like, get off the news, no, don't do that. Don't do that. People are gonna think you snitching. They really was just upset about how I was going about the situation. Like, that's what made me understand that 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 we was living wrong. Because nobody understood the the, the matter at hand that a child did. It was more like, no, we ain't doing it like that. We finna do, we gon' we finna slide. We ain't that's more what it was. And to me, I'm like, well, this is my daughter. Like, you know, there's so many children out here. And that's what that was my main thing. I, I didn't want my daughter to be just another unsolved gun violence case.
1: When Jonte's friends realized he couldn't be persuaded, they turned on him.
2: They want not understand. They will not understand. And then looks up, looks down like they just stopped um, talking to me, stopped taking my texts. Just saying a whole bunch of hurtful stuff. But he was
1: steadfast. Police came to see him at that same hotel room.
2: I met with the detectives too at the Lumbar Hotel. Um, They showed me the, the camera footage. You know, they sat down, they showed me the pictures of the guys. Jonte
1: identified the alleged attackers, and all three men that he says killed Jaslyn are now facing murder charges. The tragedy hangs over his whole life. Jonte has moved from his old home, he feels like a target. Both for his old opposition
2: and his former friends. I don't want my nieces in the cars with me. I don't wanna be in nobody's cars if it ain't mine. Because I don't wanna risk nobody getting no no innocent no another innocent bystander getting hurt. It's definitely like hard to live like that again. Some people just wanna like be around you but they can't and it's the same thing. Like, this has gonna be the rest of the rest of my life, you know? Like is everybody gonna look at me like a target? Is like is I'm ever gonna be comfortable in my own skin again? Despite the
1: fear, the alienation, Jante has dedicated his life to preserving his daughter's memory and building a legacy for her in death. He speaks frequently about the tragedy, hopeful it will discourage others from violence that puts children at risk. And he's back to making music again, this time songs with a positive message, like a memorial to his daughter
2: why do love it so good but in the end turned out so painful seven years I got to know you for them few years I am grateful I questioning God but I questioning God today you left like why he take you me. wanna have another child and again I don't cause I can't remake you change my life so much I love just wanna take and tell you thank you most
3: I ever. it had to take him to lose his child but he did the right thing.
1: I was a little surprised his friends were so resistant to him cooperating with police. You know, they're saying, stop talking to cops. Stop going on the news, talking That's about long. justice. Let's we're going to go back and we're going to shoot the guys who did this. And, and I was surprised because it's like his seven year old daughter got killed, but they still are like, no, no snitching. We're we're going after these guys. What? Am I wrong to be surprised? No. Are you surprised? No. Why not?
3: I think if you would have asked me this a couple—well, not a couple, a while back, I think I would agree. Come on. They took one of ours. Let's go. But now seeing all these families and just being a victim of it as well, he did the right thing. The father did the right thing by saying, hey, look, fall back.
1: But you think— it's almost obvious that, of course, his friends are going to say, let's go. Yeah. Why? It's
3: just the way it is, Patrick.
1: I, I think I started to get a sense of what a brave choice he was making when I talked with those anti-violence workers, the same guys that, that were talking about how, how tragic it was. I talked to them, Vernell and Fats, about
0: Jonte's decision to cooperate with police. I want to play a little bit of how they, they responded. This this world we're living in now is a, a cruel, judgmental place. And some people just don't don't turn the the, the the other cheek on that stuff like that snitching in the hood you know and it's not it's I don't think it's it's really snitching when it comes to to babies because they innocent to this. They didn't sign up for this. you know uh, we signed up for that. The kids didn't sign up for that. so you got to look at it from all angles, you know. But me, I don't wish jail on nobody. Would you not, I feel horrible even
1: trying to, even in a hypothetical like out, but if, if you were in his shoes back in the day, would you have cooperated with police, you think? No. no. Nope. You said no to? No, of course not.
0: Nope. I wouldn't have, I, I no, nah, I wouldn't have. No, no circumstance.
1: But if you were sitting there like, this person killed my baby, and they're not turning themselves tell in. i my call. All right, all right. In case you miss it at the end of that tape of Fats and Vernell, when I'm asking, like, you know, if this happened to you, what would you do? And Ver- that was Vernell told me to turn the mic off.
3: I can imagine.
1: These questions, what you do when a loved one gets killed, when vengeance is appropriate, whether it's ever OK to cooperate with police, they are extremely sensitive even for people who are working to stop retaliation. When I asked outreach workers in Garfield Park about Jante's decision to identify the shooters instead of seeking street justice, I was expecting universal celebration. But that's not what I got. I keep coming back to what Fat said. We signed up for this. I guess in some ways it's technically true, but also they were so young when they did sign up. Jante joined a gang when he was 15, Still just a boy. His story is tragic and upsetting, but it's not unique. Almost every current or former gang member I've spoken to describes being pulled out to the streets at a young age, usually right before starting high school. And often, before joining up, they suffer some sort of trauma that pushes them out of their homes, looking for somewhere else to belong. Take FATS. He was surrounded by gangs on the city's west side. And just like Jante, it was his family that gave him the first push out to the streets. He guesses he was about 12 or 13.
0: You know, I had a, a big brother, so he was he was selling a little drugs here and there. He really wasn't. He was mostly a car thief. But when he hustled, he hustled a little bit. And he was hustling out of our back door. And sometimes when he'd go out to steal cars, he'd be like, if somebody knock on the door. Sell him this. So he kind of introduced me to it. That went on for a couple years until Fats was 15. My mom had a car accident and I seen her in the hospital. And when I saw her, I'm like, oh no. It just everything clicked in my head so fast. I'm like, I don't have nobody to take care of me because my father had, they had split. My brothers, they barely taking care of themselves because they still with my mother, you know. I was like, if my mother don't get out this hospital, who's going to take care of me? So I knew then I had to man up and do something to take care of myself. And the fastest way to try and get something was me to get out and hustle. So that's what really drove me to hustling. To get
1: started, Fats went to the guys who had been supplying his brother drugs.
0: I went to some people and, you know, the same people he was messing with and got what I wanted. He was like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. need some money.
1: Did you get money together, or did they give it to you sort of on consignment?
0: On consignment. You know, I didn't have the money to pay for anything.
1: Fats was 15 years old. I wouldn't trust a 15-year-old with anything. But these dealers, they were willing
0: to front the high school freshman a big bag of powder cocaine. It was just me. I was, you know, doing my thing, and... Then some older guys came like, Who who should you got? I'm like, my they like, Oh no, you can't do that. <laughs> you got it you got to come on in with us or something. Then I stopped working with some people and you know, it was it was pretty good.
1: As it got bigger, it got more serious, more dangerous. Fats was stabbed. He got shot in the neck. He says he picked up a lot of criminal cases, gun possession, drug dealing. Only once did he actually do serious time in prison. Fats' decision about six years ago to finally get out of the gang, stop drug dealing, stop hustling. It wasn't prompted by anything nearly as dramatic as the tragedy that shook Jonte Adams. Instead, his story of getting out shows just how big of a role poverty plays in people staying in gangs and how little it can take to send someone on another path. For Fats, all it took was a crappy used car. Over the years, Fats had become close friends with the son of a man who owned the liquor store in his neighborhood.
0: This was a guy, you know, I met through his father, and when I got out of jail, I called him. He said, what's going on? What you doing? I said, I'm doing nothing. I'm in the house, man, bored. So you're not working yet? I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to come you your car. Hey, you going to go to work tonight. Say, said, well, I'm going to go to work at. You're going to go deliver pizza. Say, OK, come get me. Came and got me. Bought me a car. I started delivering pizza for one of his friends.
1: Most of the money Fats made selling drugs, he had spent fast. Whatever he had saved had gone to paying for lawyers and bail. So that used car and the job delivering pizzas, it was everything to Fats. It was the turning point
0: the leg up he needed to leave hustling behind and go straight. And no guy that I hustled with or any of that called me, but if I would have called him and said I'm ready to hustle, I'd have had the doors open to anything. But me sitting at home saying I'm bored and frustrated, I can't get a job, he called me and said, I'm going to go buy you a car. And he left the car in his own name until I was able to switch the car over said, so yeah. you're going to work tonight. And I went to work.
1: A used car wouldn't do it for everyone. Probably not for younger guys enjoying the fast cash of drug dealing and the thrill of gangbanging. But these stories, it's clear it really wouldn't take much to get people to choose something else. Imagine if 15-year-old Fats hadn't felt the panic of how he'd survive... Or if Jante Adams, at the same age, didn't feel the pressure to be the man of the house. that says for kids like Jonte and him, they just need to be given a real chance. Being black
0: as a kid, you got to be exceptional. They want you to be all the way up here, but you can't be. Everybody can't be that. They wasn't investing in, in C students, D students. They was not investing in me. I can hear Fats's
1: frustration and regret. He was just a normal kid. He got in trouble. He goofed off in class. He skipped his homework sometimes. Most places, that's just what we expect of young people. But in Fats' world, where there wasn't nearly enough opportunity to go around, it meant Fats got put into a bucket with most of the other kids he grew up with. Another poor kid on his way to becoming part of the problem. Not worth investing in. Ceci's back at Joey's house to check on his progress. It's been two months since Joey's shooting and his physical recovery from the 11 bullets is progressing on schedule. Like usual, Ceci carries her police scanner, listening for possible shootings as she approaches the house, as always clad in black leggings and a black T-shirt. She's here to check on Joey, but her focus is Joey's 14-year-old son, Mateo. He's on the cusp of high school, that perilous time for so many Chicago kids. When I met Mateo on my first visit with Sessie, the boy was basically hiding out in the house, helping care for his dad. At the time, he told me he was probably the next target. Now, two months later, Mateo's doing everything he can to remove himself. He says he's basically never home. But I've been, like, going outside now since, like... Since summer's going away, little by little, I call my friend like, hey, let's go outside and hoop for a bit, then it's come back. And... Do you feel nervous going out? I mean,
2: kind of, but not really. Because I'm, like, with a, a group of friends.
1: This has Sessie worried. Both that Mateo could be shot by the people who shot Joey, or that his desire to find safety in numbers could make him particularly susceptible to the allure of a gang. Mateo was about the age Fats and Jante were when they first joined up. For Jante, his dad being locked up helped push him out to the streets. Fats started dealing drugs when his mom got hurt in a car accident. Now Mateo's dad is seriously wounded. It's turned the family upside down and shaken the young man's sense of self and security. He's exceptionally vulnerable. Sassy is desperate to keep Mateo from going down the path that she and Joey and Fats and Jante all followed.
3: He's looking for outlets, um, trying to find a wrong crowd. Hanging out, drinking, smoking, um, the gang life.
2: Crossing that line that we're not trying to have him cross. So we're trying to get to him before he crosses that line.
1: That's next time on Motive. Motive is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Patrick Smith. Marie Mendoza is our producer. Our editor is Rob Wildeboer. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Tracy Brown is our chief content officer. Our story consultant is Cecilia Mannion. Additional help from Natalie Moore, Kate Cahan, Shannon Heffernan, Anna Sevchinka, and Joe Dassault. Music from Jeff Else, Blue Dot Sessions, and Audio Network.